Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, open our hearts and minds to understand your word. Amen. There's so much in the Bible that should make us uncomfortable and cause us even to have fits of misunderstanding. All of the readings this morning raise challenging questions. Take, for example, the story of Naaman in 2 Kings. How could it say that the Lord gave Naaman victory, military victory, for the king of Aram? What kind of a God would support military conquest? And then later, Naaman says, after he is healed, that God doesn't exist anywhere except in Israel. So, does God not exist in other places? Furthermore, Naaman's healing should trouble us because this very man who was responsible for conquering parts of Israel and raiding it, did he deserve to be healed? And what about all the people we know, good people, who aren't healed? It would seem that much in this story points to the power of God in the land. This seems unfair, especially when ownership and control of the land can fall into the hands of not nice people. <coughs> it sounds a bit like might makes right, or as what we call in the Lutheran church, works righteousness. But not everything in the text so easily falls into this line of thinking. One of the wonderful things about Scripture is as you dive into it, deeper insights open up. At first, Naaman does not want to believe that the Jordan River can heal him. He wants to believe that the Abana and the Farpar and Damascus, his home country, are at least as good, if not better. Which raises the question, if he thought the rivers in Damascus were so good, why did he come down to Israel and conquer it? Why not just leave him alone? It couldn't have had anything to do with the greed of the king of Aram, could it? How often do we know courageous people who serve as soldiers and in the military who then get used by the politically ambitious to do things that they'd rather not do at all? Maybe... Naaman was reluctant to do his conquering for the king of Aram. And what of the raids that he conducted? It seems a far sight from the kind of conquest that we know. They preserved the life of the servant girl that served Naaman's wife. The king of Israel still sat on the throne, and the prophet Elisha was still prophesying. I think what all of these questions come down to is the critical question we must all ask ourselves, what do we value more, land or people? One of the challenging things we have to do when we study history is account for our own history. And as much as we love our country and the freedoms that we have, we have to reconcile how was this land settled? And how were the indigenous people of these lands treated? 
not fairly or rightly at all. If God gives conquest, then I'm not sure that I would want to be obedient to such a God. Rather, I would fear such a God. Psalm 11, thank you for reading this morning, Brian, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If Israel, if Israel was God's elected people and the promised land that God gave them and then God would allow Naaman to come in and conquer and raid it, who's to say that God wouldn't do the same thing again today? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, Luther, Martin Luther, who our church is named after, he feared God. When he was a young man, he was terrified of God. He was terrified of being sent to hell. One day, the legend has it, he was walking on a journey, and a terrible storm broke out, a lightning storm. And the lightning bolts were very close to him, and he thought surely he would die, and he thought that if he died, surely he would go to hell. And so he prayed to Saint Anne. Do you know who Saint Anne is? I've always heard this story. Martin Luther prayed to Saint Anne. Saint Anne is not in the Bible, but she is the grandmother of Jesus. St. Anne is the mother of Mary. And we know now that when a woman carries a baby in her womb, especially if she carries a female, as that baby develops all of their internal organs, already the third generation, already the third generation is within the fetus that's within the mother. So when Luther prayed to St. Anne, he was praying to the, not just the grandmother of Jesus, but the one who began to form him generations previous to when he would come on earth as God's son made flesh. So Martin Luther was spared in the lightning storm, and the deal that he made with St. Anne was that if he would not die, he would become a monk, which is what he did. And he became a monk and he was still terrified of God. He never thought he would be good enough to go to heaven. And then they noticed, hey, Marty, you're, you're kind of good with languages. Maybe we'll teach you Greek and Hebrew and teach you how to read the Bible. And then as he read deeper into Scripture, he realized, like us this morning, that not everything in Scripture aligns, that there's a variety of voices. And he discovered the grace of God not just in the present moment for a few special people, but God's grace working in all of history for all people, that God's heart is mercy and love and forgiveness. Luther came to believe, or rather stopped believing, in a God that would reward some and punish others. Instead, he began to have faith in a God of grace, and he gave his life to God's grace. So if we look at the story of Naaman again through the lens of grace, we see something still different. The healing power of God's grace 
through the sacred water of the Jordan, through rivers and land, cannot be owned or excluded or given only to one person or one group. Rather, it is a gift of God meant for all who need it. God does not withhold grace from anyone. The words of a powerful prophet are only to her own people, but to all peoples. And all people, by God's grace, are free. This is the healing of the land and of water, the healing of animals and the people that we yearn for. So we think about the ten lepers in the gospel this morning who were healed. We are all like the ten lepers. We each suffer from different ailments and most especially a pain in our soul. Jesus would heal us just like he healed all ten lepers. That's God's grace. The question is if we'll be like the one leper out of the ten who went back to God and said, thank you. That is faith. The one who went back and said thank you to Jesus was the one who was stirred to faith. And what did Jesus say to the one who had faith? He said, your faith has made you well. I can't tell you that Jesus will heal everybody's physical sickness. We just see that that doesn't always happen. Many people have a tremendous faith, but to continue to suffer physically, mentally, spiritually. But all people, even if they are healthy now, will one day die on this earth. But if we can find something to be thankful for in the present moment, perhaps our souls can be made well. We have been promised resurrection. Paul says that God's word cannot be changed. So even when we struggle to be free and well, we can share in God's word and know that it makes us free and well too. Perhaps resurrection isn't about taking God's word like some sort of a medication and ingesting it, right? Like a pill. God's word isn't a pill that you take and then you live forever. That's not how resurrection works. Rather, it's the word of God that lives forever in Jesus Christ. And when we are in the word of God, when we share the word of God, when we pray and read and are in fellowship, and when we give thanks, then we are lifted up into God's word. We are a part of God's word, which will live forever. In our baptism, we die, and new life is ours in Christ. Saint Anne, the grandma of Jesus, becomes our grandma too. Our body is joined to Jesus forever. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day. I invite you to stand as you're able. Alabare, mi Señor. Alabare, alabare, alabare a mi Señor. John saw the number of all of those redeemed, and all were singing praises to the Lord. Thousands.